Hello, friends. Welcome to Exploring the Scriptures with Springdale Baptist Church. This week, Brother Stacy brings us a message from Acts chapter 8, where he talks about our service for the sake of the gospel. Now, here's Brother Stacy with the message. Number 57, we mentioned this about a week ago and talked about uh, as we've walked through the, the book of Acts and, and kind of taken it one chapter at a time, and uh, as we did a couple weeks ago, two chapters when we covered six and seven, at the end of chapter seven, we see where Stephen is being taken outside the city and stoned. And Stephen, of course, was uh, one who was chosen. He's one who was chosen, one who was called out. Uh, for service, and uh, he was elected one of those uh, one of those first uh, seven deacons that would serve and minister and wait on tables and and do uh, do a lot of the work that would help the apostles as they studied and proclaimed the word of Jesus and just preached uh, preached in his name. But we also see that right does not always is not always received well. Right is not always received well. And in this case, as he began to preach to the religious people, he found that right was definitely not received well by them, and uh, so much so that they uh, decided that, that his life should be over. And we see that in uh, verse number 57 out to the end of, uh, of chapter number 7. Uh, there in verse 60, it says, Then they cried with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears. Is that not the beginning of our rebellion usually when we stop our ears from listening to other people, when we, when we decide that everything we've decided is right, everything somebody else has as an idea is wrong, and we stop our ears. Well, this is what they had done. They had stopped their ears, and uh, they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and, uh, and uh, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that's very important there, and I want you to see that clearly. Uh, the witnesses there, the people who stoned Stephen, they laid down their feet at a young man named Saul. Verse 59 says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We, we mentioned about Stephen how uh, personally I hope my life would wind up like Stephen's. That when I die, I die proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. I die proclaiming the word of God. Uh, it, as I look at this and think about what all it took place uh, before uh, we hear this, this uh, finale to the story here, we understand that Stephen has come to a place where he had decided that no matter what, he was going to preach the name of Jesus. No matter what, he was going to stand between sinners and hell. No matter what, he was going to be the one that made sure that everybody he came in contact with heard the name Jesus. Whether they trusted Him or not, that's up to them. And today, that's up to you. Whether you trust Him or not, but I'm going to do my best to stand between you and hell today. I don't want you, I don't want anybody going to hell. I don't want anybody leaving this world lost and dying in their sins. So that gets us to the place here. And as we see, there's three things that we're going to see, and I think we'll be able to see them very clearly throughout this passage of Scripture this morning. The first thing is the garments of the enemy. 
the garments of the enemy. By the way, I've named this message this morning, Enemies or Opportunities. Enemies or Opportunities. And you wonder why we spend so much time talking about a church that had a tough time getting traction in the first century, that had a tough time getting going and, and, and was facing great persecution. Well, I want to read a few statistics to you that are taken not from first century A.D., but are taken from 2018. 2018. I want you to hear this. 245 million Christians went through what they called persecution. Some of that may have been, may have not have been the type of persecution that we look at and think about. But 254 million Christians were persecuted in the year 2017. These are 18 statistics. There may be some newer, uh, newer things out there, but it's close enough to give us an idea of what's going on. That means that one out of nine Christians were persecuted because of their faith. Think about that. Think about this room and think about one of every nine. I can't get to the second row without getting nine people. And one of those is being taunted for their faith. One of those is being criticized for their faith. One of those is in some cases being, being persecuted and many of those are in physical danger because as we move on we see that 4,000, this is in the year 2017, 4,136 Christians died because of their faith. We have Stephen, we have the first of the martyrs here for, for Christ's sake. But just a couple of years ago, over 4,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Listen, as we move on, 2,625 people were imprisoned for their faith in 2017. Now listen to this. This is a number that's staggering. We think about our church, and, and I hope you consider it precious to you. It is to me. But 1,266 churches were burned, bombed, or otherwise destroyed. In 2017, 1,266 Christian churches completely destroyed. So this is a serious thing. This is something that's very real, something that's very current, something I think that is very relevant for you and I to think about today. And as we, uh, it, it allows us to do that when we walk through these books like we are the book of Acts here and we get to chapter number 8 and we see what's happening here. We see that in chapter number 7 here, that uh, and, and in uh, uh, verse number 1 it says this of chapter 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was consenting to his death. First point is this, the garments of the enemy. The garments of the enemy. We saw before they had laid their garments. This was symbolic of a few things. One thing is, is that Saul gave them his approval of this stoning of Stephen. And as, we began, as I began to study this this week and last week and looking through sort of what this all meant, uh, Saul, Saul was kind of the ISIS of the day back then. He was going after Christians. He asked for the king to write letters that he could have as many Christians as he could find thrown in jail. He asked, he asked that he could have many of them, uh, if they got thrown in jail, usually they were executed because of their faith. And of course, the religious and, and the government elite were all for that because Jesus threatened their power. And so Christianity then later threatened their power. And as the church grew, 
their power uh, was, was in jeopardy. And so we see here that this is a sign of approval. When people thrown clothes at a certain man, it was that, uh, that he was approving of what was going on. And in some cases, they said the word consenting meant that not only was he approving, in other words, just giving their permission. You remember we saw a picture like this of, of, of Jesus with Pilate. We saw that Pilate, remember he stood on the porch and he washed his hands. And he said, y'all go do with Jesus whatever you choose to do with him. He said, I, I want to have nothing to do with it. Well, what, what that really meant was that he was giving them permission to go ahead and kill him. He was giving his permission trying to wash his hands, trying to stay back from it. But some people say, and some, some scholars would say, that possibly Paul was not consenting or giving permission, but actually was instigating the stoning of Stephen here. Saul would later become Paul. That's right, the one who wrote one-third of the New Testament. He would become Paul the Apostle. In chapter 9, we see a change that happened in his life. And so that's what I want to show you here is that the garments of the enemy were laid down at one who was just totally and supremely hateful to the cause of Christ and to the church. And so we see Paul here consenting to the death of Stephen. And it said this, it says, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the apostles stayed they were somewhat protected because they had been threatened, you remember, and they sort of joined together. They, they, they grouped together and said, hey, uh, we're going to keep proclaiming Jesus Christ. And so they decided we'd turn our attention from them to somebody else. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but everybody else was scattered out. But here was the apostle Paul. Here was Saul consenting to Stephen's death. Some said maybe he even threw the first stone. And when it's a stone, it's not like you skipping rocks in a pond. These were great boulders that they would take, and they meant to kill with every strike. It was not, it was not like they were throwing little rocks like you throw them in your driveway. They were throwing stones that were meant to kill. And that's what was happening to Stephen here. He would be killed for his faith. He, at the end of this, there, there was no hope when you had one like Saul consenting to his death. So we see this, and, and I want you to see something that is also very clear in this passage. I want you to see the grief of the saints. I want you to see the grief of the saints here. As we move down, I want you to look with me at um, verse, verse number 2. Verse number 2 here of chapter 8. It says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now I want us to just take this to the side just for a minute and think, think about something. What will people say about you when you're gone? You think about that and you say, well, Stacy, what kind of question is that? Uh, it's one I hope that you answer today in your life and in your spirit. What, what kind of impact have you left behind should you leave this earth today? You say, we're not promised another minute. We've made plans and we've decided what we're going to do and what we plan to do the next few weeks and months and even years, what we've planned to do. But the truth is, we've got right now to get done 
what we need to get done for the glory of God. And I wonder, what are people going to say about you and your life whenever it comes uh, to its end? And, and here's a couple of thoughts that I, that I wrote down and I want you to think about. Death invites review. Death invites review. We think about death and, and uh, no doubt I, I, I'm sitting in here and I have walked with uh, just about every one of you through times of death in your family. At some point, maybe maybe you hadn't been been a member here long enough for me to walk walk with you through that just yet. But but uh, here's what I know: death runs in my family, so we're we're going to we're going to walk through that with each other at some point or another. And and what I find is is that death brings review, and that's a good thing. It causes us to look at our life. It does momentarily cause us to look at the deceased and their life, and what kind of impact they had. But it also causes us to look introspectively at us and our life and, and see really what, what have we been in our life. What have we done? What have we done with our life? And here's something as your pastor, I beg of you, I beg of you, don't make me stand behind a pulpit one day at your funeral and have to make up something good to say about you. I say that with love and I hope you receive it that way. Don't make your pastor have to stand up. Don't make that friend or that neighbor, that relative, somebody that speaks on your behalf the day of your funeral, don't make them have to make up something or stretch out something about you just so they'll have something good to say whenever everybody's paying their final respects to you. Because I'm telling you, this life is once lived. And when it's over, it's over. When it's over, it's over. Life is a vapor. It's here today and then it disappears just like that. It's gone. And some of you can, you can relate to that. You know. Some of you have buried people much younger than you. And you know life is a vapor. Some of you have buried some of those that are way older than you, but you just loved and you, you held on to and cared so deeply for. And you understand that you wish you had them just a little while longer because life is fleeting. It's, it's just not here for very long. I talked to a fellow yesterday. And, and Bryce was over here and Aiden was over here and they were about like this. And, and he told me, he said, it won't be very long till this one's the size of this one. Because life seems to move so fast. It seems to go so fast and just as quickly death comes. But here's something else I want you to see too. Grief. Grief comes from regret. Now there's, a, there, there's certain kinds of grief. There's different kinds of grief. I want you to understand this. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself, after he was converted, after he was saved, he wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. He said, brothers, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which sleep. In other words, in the, in the Bible when it says sleep, that means you're dead. He said, concerning them which sleep. He said, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. Sometimes our grief, sometimes our sorrow, like Paul's talking about here, 
come from the fact that we've lived a life that left something out there on the table, that left something on the field, so to speak, uh, that, that left something that we could have done, some things we could have said, some places we could have gone to minister, some way that we could have loved. We've left it out there, and because of it we live with regret. And that brings grief. It brings guilt into our life. And as, as, as Stephen is going through the, this toughest of final tests here, you know what he said? He was calling on God. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. And at the very end, he said this. He said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Are you holding on to something are you holding on to something that causes you to sorrow like others that have no hope? To have grief over the past? To have grief, maybe the near past? Maybe something that was just a week ago, a month ago, or a year or two ago? Or, or, or maybe it's something that was, was when you were a child that you're holding on to and you're, you're allowing it to just defeat you day in and day out. You're allowing it to have a place in your heart that only God has designed for His Spirit to dwell. You see, that brings grief and it brings regret. And God didn't design you to live with regret. He designed you to live out loud so that others will see Jesus in you. Paul, uh, Stephen, they couldn't help but see Jesus. They couldn't help but see. Just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. Stephen said, Lord, don't lay this sin on them. Lord, don't let them live with this sin all their life. What he was saying was, God, I hope you have enough grace to save them. And in dying, he showed them the grace of God. Nobody left this day changed. When he was persecuted, when he was stoned, when he cried out, nobody left there changed. Why? Because he didn't have any regrets over his past life. Don't make me have to make up something good. I'm telling you, live a life that is pleasing to God. Live a life that, that, that has you poured out for Him. Live a life like that. And nobody will have regrets when you go on. So it brings review, but I want you to see this. So we see the grief of the saints. We see the garments of the enemy. But the third and final thing that I, I really want you to see here, and I think shows up clearly is the glory of God. The glory of God in such a tough, tough time. Won't you look with me? We'll go back to verse number 1. Because there's something very important to see here. Verse number 1, it says this, At that time, great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, skip down with me to verse number 4. First of all, verse number 3, Saul continued. It says Saul made havoc 
He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women uh, and committing them to prison. Now verse 4, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Preaching the word. Now I'm not going to get on Brother Cody tonight. Brother Cody is going to share with us about Philip and and some other things out of uh, Acts chapter number 8. That's tonight, so be sure you come back. I want you to hear the rest of this story. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this this morning. The glory of God showed up in verse number two, verse number one here. It says that they were scattered. Now, there's a scattered of verse number one, and there's another scattered of verse number four. I want you to see the difference in mindset here in verse number one. When they scattered from verse number one, it's because they were persecuting them. They had just seen their brother Stephen stoned and they were scared for their life. And so here's what they did. They scattered. You ever seen a bunch of boys gathered up and then somebody of authority comes around and they scatter because they knew they were doing something wrong? They scattered. Weren't doing anything wrong, but fear still gripped their heart, and so they scattered out. But there's another scattering that happens in verse number 4 here. In verse 4 it says, Then those who were scattered when everyone preaching... The word. Now there's two different, two types of word for scattered. Two types of word. I'm not going to try to pronounce a Greek word, but I want you to understand the two definitions, the two meanings here. One means just to be dispersed. That's what the root of that word is, just to be dispersed. In other words, just, just sent out, just, just, just gone. The other one comes from a farming term that means to be sown. To be sown. You see, when, when those farmers would prepare the ground... Now I want you to walk with me for a minute through the early church here and and understand that God is preparing the ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's preparing the region. He's preparing Jerusalem and He's preparing Judea and He's preparing Samaria and He'd already told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that they would go to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They would do all that carrying the gospel and so as they did that... It just so happens that one of them died scattering the gospel, sowing seeds. You see, that scattering was not just a random dispersion of disciples. That scattering was God's plan that they would preach the gospel wherever they were scattered to. And I tell you today that we'll gather here We'll gather as a group of believers at Springdale Baptist Church and we will hear the Word of God. We'll hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ and then at, at about 11.35, some of y'all are watching y'all's watch already. I've already seen you. So, but just shortly after it's time for us to turn loose, you know what you are? You're scattered. We come together and we're one. The body of Christ, the body of believers. But then when we leave here, I'm telling you, hopefully not under so much pressure as they were under in chapter 7 and 8 of Acts. But I'm telling you, I hope with the same urgency that they had to preach the Word of God, to tell somebody about Jesus. You see, there was a scattering when they were scared, but there's another scattering going on whenever it was time for them to scatter seed across prepared ground. 
where the Holy Spirit had come in, had begun a good work. And we know that Jesus, when He begins a good work, He finishes that work. And so they started to scatter seeds of the gospel everywhere they went, to Judea and to Samaria. And once a boat came in that would, that would take them to the other side of the world that they knew about, that's where they were headed as well. Paul had a desire. He hadn't even got saved yet in this passage, but I want you to know he had a desire to go to Rome. He wanted to be in Rome. He, he loved the place and he loved the people and he wanted to share this Jesus that he had met with them. And so his great desire was to get on a boat and to head out. You see, he was scattered for the glory of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was scattered. And I'm telling you, like I said, under less pressure today than they were then. But if these statistics that I read to you earlier didn't, didn't light a fire under you, I want you to understand there's more pressure coming. The church is in danger and in persecution, under persecution, day in and day out, somewhere in this world. And if we're not careful, it will be right here where we live that the church is persecuted. And some of you, I can't look behind your eyes, but I know this, and I know in schools, the gospel's not welcome there. I know in some businesses the gospel's not welcome there. I know in some homes the gospel is not welcome there. The glory of God appeared in the scattered church. People would have looked at what was going on there and saw the stoning of Stephen, the scattering of the saints, and they would have said, oh, this move of Jesus is done. This Christianity thing that we've heard about, it's over. It was just beginning. It had just started because God had scattered them so that others like us would hear the gospel one day. So that others like us would know about Jesus. And just like it was promised, even in the scattering, even in the persecution, more and more and more seeds of the gospel were sown. I want you to look at this. Verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded or listened to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing, <laughs> seeing the miracles which he did. Listen to this. It says, For unclean spirits cried with a loud voice and came out of many who were possessed. Many were paralyzed and lame. Were, many that were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. Philip, uh, or uh, Stephen and his family could not say that there was great joy. They probably couldn't say as they were lamenting over, over Stephen 
And as they carried his body and laid it in the ground, and, and some of you have been there, and some of you maybe more recently than others have been there, and as you, as you, as you cry over lost, over, over those that have gone on and left this world, understand this, God is at work. He was at work in Stephen's life. He was at work. In the rest of those deacons' lives, he was at work in the apostles' lives. He was at work in people that were up to this point not even named yet. And here comes Philip. He was at work in him. And they said, great joy came because a great God came into the lives of some people in Judea and Samaria. And so I think God would point at us and say, wherever you go is great joy following is great joy on the way? Wherever you go, do people hear the name of Jesus? Do, do people see the love of God? Wherever you go, whatever you do, are you a witness for Him? And so as we look at these things and we look at some tough things today, I hope the question rises in your heart. When you feel scattered... Now, whichever definition of scattered you want to use, maybe you're scattered because of fear. Or maybe you're scattered because God's got a plan to sow seed somewhere else in a different spot. But wherever you're scattered and whenever you're scattered, do people see Christ? Do people see the love of God? Do people see Boy, I can't wait to get to chapter 9. I told y'all last week I can't hardly wait to get to that. Do people see that Christ has made a change in your life? You see, Saul here, who would be known as Paul later on, my, God changed him, turned him completely around and got so much glory. What makes you think he can't use you? What makes you think He won't take your life, sinful as it is, turn it around and make something new out of it, make something great? Matter of fact, Paul would go on to write 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man would be in Christ, he's not better. <laughs> he's, not, he's not turned over a new leaf or hit a crash diet. He didn't just all of a sudden get better. He's a new Creation. Old things are past. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. He can do that in you. Stand with me, heads bowed, eyes closed. I don't want you to get the idea that the process will be easy. That the process will be short. That the process won't involve sacrifice and pain and trouble because they were persecuted. They were ridiculed. They were mocked. Some of them gave their life. 
none of them gave more than God did when he gave us Jesus. None of them sacrificed more than God did at the cross. So what are you willing to give God this morning? What are you willing to give Him? He only asks for your service. He only asks for your life. He only asks that you trade this old sinful life for a brand new one. One that's forgiven. One that's set free. One that's made whole. Father, I thank you for this day, for your blessings. Lord, I pray you speak to the heart of every hearer, God. And that what you desire to do in their heart, Lord, I pray they'd listen. And they'd come to you. In Jesus' name I pray.